Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, today's appointment for you, I have an appointment tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and it's going to be like your appointment today at 11 o'clock. I, I was getting a teeth cleaning. How many of you have ever got a teeth cleaning? Well, I was raised in the hood, so I got my first teeth cleaning when I was like 30. And, and so now uh, that we have a wonderful dentist in the church, probably more that I don't know, but Dr. Morgan, and, and, and so they, they call me, Pastor, come get your teeth cleaned. Come, come. I, I have to do, preach like this or I still see my teeth on the screen and call me in. And so I went, Michelle and I, to get our teeth cleaned, and um, the, the lady that cleaned my teeth took a little x-ray, and then, then she called uh, somebody else. They looked at it, and then he walked in a little later, and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, we're going to clean your teeth today. I said, thank you. He said, but um, you really need a deep cleaning. And I said, okay. He said, and really, to do that, we're going to have to give you some shots in your mouth. I said, well, whatever happened to laughing gas? This is 2020. I mean, where's the love? He said, he said we're, going to, we're going to have to give you some shots. He said, we're going to give you a deep cleaning. And he said, you need a deep cleaning because if we don't do this, what's going to happen is at your age, 41, that was wrong. Y'all were wrong for that. <laughs> and, and he said, at your age, what's going to happen in the future is your teeth will begin to fall out. He said, so what we're going to do is we're going to have to give you some shots because we're going to go deeper than we normally go. But what it's going to do is it's going to save you from losing something you need for the rest of your life. Now, I try to be a funny, nice preacher every Sunday. Am I usually funny? Yes. Am I usually nice? Yes. Okay, I try to channel my favorite version of Joel Osteen in a Mexican body. <laughs> I, I, I truly want to go, hi. God loves you and so do I. I. I do. I really want to do that and I try to do that often. But today is going to be a deep cleaning. And today we're going to need some shots for what I'm going to deliver to you. But if you heed it, it will save you from something that you're going to lose later that you need to carry on successfully in your life. This word is a two-edged sword. That's what it is. That's what the Bible says. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. You know why it's called two edges? Because one edge cuts while the other edge heals. It kind of hurts good. It, it, it does. And so today, I want to share with you a word that I believe can help you and can really transform parts of your life. Are you ready for a deep cleaning? Yes. Okay, worship was the shots. Now comes the cleaning. Today's message is called The Fall of Saul. Those of you who were alive in 
watching sports in the 19, late 1980s and 1990s knew there was a famous NBA basketball player. He's now a commentator. He was called the Round Mound of Rebound. Anybody know who that was? Charles Barkley. Who said Charles Barkley? Come on, old people. I love y'all. Thank you. We remember. And he, he was called the round bound of rebound, Charles Barkley. And he would just say whatever came to his mind and it would come out of his mouth. And someone looked at him and said, you're just a terrible role model for children. And he said, I'm no role model. He was wrong. Everyone's a role model. Everyone's an example. You're either an example of what to or example of what? Example of what to be or an example of what not to be. First in the Bible mean a lot. As a matter of fact, when we think about sin, we know that the first sin happened and who committed the first sin? Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who committed the first sin? Come on, ladies, fess up. Like ladies going, no, 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 no. Hey, men, don't worry. You won't catch the couch tonight. It's in the Bible. Okay. Who committed the first sin? Eve. But who did God give to lead her? So when God came to find out who messed up the garden and committed the first sin, who did he call out? He called out the foreman that he left in charge of the job site. He called out Adam. Okay, so today, first mean a lot, all right? Adam and Eve committed the first sin. Then they had children. They had two children. They're two children. Anybody remember their two children? They had Cain and? And what happened? Cain killed Abel. Why? Because the wages of sin is always, it's always death. So the first children were just like the first act of their disobedience. Death followed. Then there was the first flood. Who was that with? Noah, the first head of the Cajun Navy. And then there was the father of faith. Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, and you need to know this. Can I take you on a three-minute journey that will teach you 5,000 years of biblical history? Okay, here we go. In Genesis chapter 12, okay, Adam and Eve are created in three. Two and three, the fall happens. So four is Cain and Abel. Five, okay, then when you get to six, Noah. So in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a man named Abram. He doesn't have any children, but he's very wealthy and prosperous. He and his wife, Sarah. And God comes and says, Abram, get up and go to a place that I will show you. And there I will make your name great. And through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. I'll bless you. I'll bless your children and your children's children. And so he went home and he told his wife, baby, I was talking to God. God told me we're moving. Tell mom and then we're leaving. They got everything together. And she said, what every woman says when you get ready to take a trip, where are we? And he said, I don't know. God told me to go. And he told me that when we got there, I would know where he is, where it was. And ever since then, men have never asked for directions. It's biblical. 
So that man called the father of faith, first time the word faith really is ever used, he's called the father of faith because he trusted God enough that if God spoke, he would get up and he would go, even if he didn't know where he was going. Are you with me? So he was called the father of? Okay, so Abraham, when he was almost 100 years old, never, still had not had a child. He was in his almost 100, he was 99. His wife was in her 80s and they had their first child. Now remember, this is before the blue pill. This was really a miracle. Okay, and they had their first child and his name is? Isaac. So Isaac now becomes the promised child. God gave him a promise when he was very young, and now God has fulfilled the promise when he's old. That's why he's called the father of faith. He believed God, even though his years of strength as a man and his wife's years as carrying a baby as a woman were long gone, he believed that God's promises and that God's word was greater than all the inadequacies of his body and her body. That's why he's called the father of faith. So he has a son, miraculously, and his name is Isaac. You know what the name Isaac means? Anybody know? It means laughter. Do you know why? Because when Mama went into the maternity shop <laughs> at 80, he said, oh, I'm just looking for something, you know, I'm a, for, for, you know, for pregnancy. Well, who, who's it for? Is it for a grandchild? Who is it for? That's what they did too. And when they had that miraculous child, his name was Isaac. Watch this. So Isaac grows up, gets married, has a child, and his name is? Jacob. Boy, y'all are Bible scholars. So Genesis 12, Abraham has a son. His name is? Isaac. Isaac has a son. His name is? So we've gone Abraham and now here's where it really gets interesting. Watch this. Jacob, the name Jacob, just so you know, make you feel better about me. Because people keep asking, am I preaching here? I preach here all the time. This is where I preach now. In case you didn't know that. If you're here, this is where I preach every week. Okay. So Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And the name Jacob, you know what the name Jacob means? Does anybody know? Deceiver. <laughs> it means deceiver. And so Jacob is a deceiver. His older brother is supposed to get the birthright, which is more than half of the, all the family's possessions. But he stole it from his brother over a bowl of beans. He must have been a Latino. That's why his name was Jacob. So he steals his birthright of his brother. His brother hates him. He has to go off to a distant relative because his brother wants to kill him. And years later, he's coming back to go back, 20 years later, to come back to his family. And when he does, on the way back, at night, while they set up camp, he begins to find someone wrestling with him. And he wrestles with him all night long. And right as the sun is coming up, they've been wrestling back and forth. And the person he was wrestling with was an angel. And the angel said, let me go, let me go. And he said, I will not let you go until you, until you bless me. He said, okay, 
What's your name? He said, Deceiver. And he said, Your name is no longer Deceiver. Your name now is Israel, for you will be a prince with God. And that same Jacob, now named Israel, has 12 sons because Jacob's are potent and powerful. I only have five. Watch this. And those 12 sons, some of you here are named after those 12 sons. Can you think of the 12 sons? Somebody give me some names. Benjamin. Dan. Issachar. Reuben. One that dressed really good. Joseph of coat of many colors. And this one. Judah. Judah. And from Judah came the people we call the Jews. And Jesus was a Jew. And the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed because God chose the Hebrews as his chosen people. But through Judah, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel's son, Judah, came the people called the Jews. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus died to bring all of us into a relationship with his father that was only included in the Jews for thousands of years. Now, can I tell you what's funny? Do you know where he got up and stopped that 5,000 years ago in Genesis chapter 12 where God said, I'm going to show you and I'm going to give you a land? You know where it was? Israel. And do you know who lives there today? The Jews. The Jews are one of God's prime reasons that you can prove the existence of God. And remember he said, through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. If you took right now the top 100 richest people in the world and there was one ethnic group, guess what most of them are? Jews. These people that don't number more than 30 or 40 million people, the wealthiest people in the world, the single biggest ethnicity is Jews. You hear that? Boy, he's tight as a Jew. He handles money like a, you always want a Jewish lawyer. It's true. It's true. So today, we're going to get to another first. Are you ready? The first king of Israel. You see, God led the children of Israel through prophets like Moses, like Joshua. So when God wanted the children of Israel to do something, remember, these are the children of Israel. Two million of them came out of Egypt. Moses led them out, parted the Red Sea. They had miracles in the desert. Joshua led them across the Jordan into the promised land, which is where they are, actually are while I speak to you right now. That's where Israel is. Bordering Jordan. And now they begin to see other people that have kings. So instead of God leading them through the prophets and the priests, they go to the prophet Samuel and go, hey, we see all of these people and they have kings. 
but all we have is prophets and priests. We want a king like everybody else. And so God was grieved. And so was the prophet Samuel. But he gave him what they asked for. Look at me. Be careful what you ask for. You just may get it. They chose a king and was from the tribe of Benjamin. Of the 12 tribes. He was big. He was strong. And in a day and age where there were Goliaths. There were seven and eight feet, nine feet tall. He was almost seven feet tall. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. So they had big giant killers. They had big kings. And now the children of Israel had a big king. And God began to bless him as he led the children of Israel out into battle, defeating their enemies and gaining more ground. But his position got to his head and his prominence got to his head. And this once humble leader now allowed position and prominence to bring the worst P of all, pride. The original sin that got the devil kicked out of heaven. Someone said, pride will turn an angel into the devil. And that's exactly what it did. And now Samuel the prophet is now going to this big, tall, strong, proud king. And he's giving him orders from God of what God wants him to do. Watch and see what happens. Remember, everyone is an example. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. And Samuel, the prophet, said to Saul the king, The Lord sent me to anoint you to be king over Israel. Now listen and pay close attention to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of the host of armies, the Lord of the host of armies says, I will punish who? Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he set himself up on the way when Israel came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and completely everything that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both and, and, and infant and ox and sheep and camels and donkeys. Let me just stop here because I know you're looking at this going, who? Men? Okay. That's war. Women? Ooh. Infants? I want you to remember very carefully. God has a good memory. When the children of Israel, all two million of them, were being led by Moses out of Egypt, they had to pass through different people's lands. And one of the people's lands they had to pass through was the Amalekites. That's Amalek. And they went and said, can we go through? And people would let them go through because of their sheer number, and they were passing through. Of course, they would probably take cattle, use their water, but they were passing through. But Amalek said, you can pass through, but instead... They waited till all the children of Israel had gone through and they attacked them from the backside. If two million people are walking, who's at the back of the line? Women, pregnant women, children, and older people. And the Amalekites had an Old Testament thing you might understand now. They would not only kill men, women, and children, but they would go to pregnant women, stick their swords in their bellies, and literally rip the babies out. It was Old Testament abortion. And God said, I remember what they did. The Amalekites represent sin. 
And you're going to hear that as we go later on in the story. So Saul summoned them and they go. 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. And they came to the city of Amalek and set wait in an ambush in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, their next door neighbors, leave and go down from the Amalekites. For I will show, I don't want to destroy you among them. For you were kind to the children of Israel when we came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from the, among the Amalekites and Saul defeated from Havilah over to shore, which is on the east side of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites. How? What was he told to do? Though he totally destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of, and the best of the, and the best of the, fattest things and of the lambs and everything that was good, but wouldn't, we're not willing, we're not willing, we're not willing, we're not willing to destroy them entirely, but everything was, that was undesirable or worthless, they completely destroyed. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Samuel who sent him on the journey and said, I am sorry that I've made Saul to be the king for he has turned away from following me. He has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was angry over Saul's failure. And he cried out to the Lord all night. And when Samuel got up early in the morning, he went to meet Saul. Now here's the prophet who knows God's already told him what happened. And he's going to meet him and to talk to him and ask him, why didn't you do what God said for you to do? What did God tell him to do? Destroy what? How many Amalekites? Even baby Amalekites. You know why? Because little sins grew up to be Jesus said, it's the small foxes that spoil the vineyard. So Samuel came to Saul. Here's their conversation. The prophet that knows everything, the king that is now arrogant and proud and disobedient. So Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. Let me translate that. Praise the Lord. I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. True or not true? And Samuel said, if you have, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? In other words, I'm hearing, meh, 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 If you obeyed the Lord, where, where did all this farm come from? And Saul said, pointing to the people, read it with me. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Hold it. Who was in charge? Who is he blaming? And now he's going to make a religious issue out of it. We saved the best to sacrifice to the Lord, our God. But the rest we have totally destroyed completely. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Let me tell you what God said to me last night. He said, speak. Samuel said to him, Saul, isn't it true that when you were very small and insignificant in your own eyes, that's humble. You were made to be the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed you to be king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and totally destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're eliminated. Why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? But instead you swooped down on the plunder with the shouts of victory and you did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, read it with me, 
true or not true? I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites, but I killed all the other Amalekites. But the people took the spoil of the sheep and of the oxen and all the best of the things that should have been totally destroyed. And now they're going to sacrifice them to God. And Samuel said to him, Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices or in you obeying him? Behold, to obey God is better than any sacrifice and to listen than any fat of rams that you will give him. Read this next verse for me out loud. For is as the serious as the sin of divination, fortune-telling, witchcraft, disobedience is as serious as a false religion or idolatry. Stop one moment. Stop right here. Pastor, how is him sparing one king and then the best of the sheep and the oxen? How is that witchcraft? Idolatry. Because you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is bowing down to something you serve versus the one who created you to know and serve him. So when you bow down to your opinion over God's word, you are committing idolatry and the idol is your own opinion. Well, my mom always said, well, my mom always said, well, my friend said, well, my daddy, my friend from Bro Bridge once said, what does God say? Pastor, why should I obey God? Because he made you and you were created in his image. And when you don't obey this book, you don't break his commandments. You break the image you were made in. You break the image you were made in. You destroy the image of God inside of you. And so he says this, but the people took the spoil to sacrifice to the Lord. He goes on. I'm going to look down at verse 25. Finally, he says, verse 24. And Saul said to Samuel, finally, I have sinned. Newsflash. For I transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I, I was more concerned about what people said than what God said. And I obeyed their voice instead of God's voice. Now please pardon with me and then go return with me in front of the people so you'll worship with me. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and now the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Wow. The first king. The first Adam. In the next 10 minutes, I want to take you through what I call the fall of Saul. What caused him to fall and why? Because remember, everybody's an example. Either an example of what you need to do or an example of what you... Okay, here we go. The fall of Saul. Number one, VRG. You know what that stands for? Verbal religious garbage. Blessed be thou of the Lord. How many of you know people that just always spiritual praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes, things are bad, but God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Hallelujah. And it sounds like an empty bottle. Does anybody know, does anybody, know anybody like that besides me? No, don't point at people. Just does anybody know anybody like that? Yes or no? Yes. yes. 
Do you know why it feels that way? Because they're trying to be spiritual because they were not obedient. Let me tell you something about God you need to know that you might not. He advertises himself. And if God is with you, you don't have to tell people. He will. Ooh, that was good. Here's the second thing. He refused to completely obey. He said, I, I did kill everybody. I, I, I killed everybody, but... Do you know why he kept the king? Because when you came back from a victory, they would take the opposing king, strip off all of his jewelry, poke off his eyes, drag him naked in front of people. And when you see this phrase in the Bible, okay, more than a conqueror, that's what that means. And so he brought him back so that he could pump himself up as the leader. That's why he did it. Now, if God told you to go and do 99 things and you, 100 things, and you did 99 and not one, wouldn't you think you were doing pretty good? You know what God calls 99% obedience? Disobedience. You know what he did? He gave up his wrongs, but he didn't give up his rights. When I became a Christian, I was so proud of myself. I gave up weed. I said, Jesus must be so happy he got all my weed. Like somehow El Chapo had a tunnel and it led it straight to heaven. And as soon as I gave that to Jesus, they were up there going, man, that's good stuff. Jacob sent that up. Okay, I gave up pornography. Like, I'm giving God all this stuff. Listen to me. Look right here. Jesus didn't die for your drugs. He didn't die for your porn. He didn't die for your pride. He died for you. The price that he paid is to redeem you. He wants you, all of you, and only you. He doesn't want to be number one. Hey, Michelle is not the, you know... Do you love me? Oh, yeah, baby. You're the number one woman in my life. She goes, there's a two and a three and a four. I might be calling you to sleep at your house tonight. She doesn't want to be number one. She wants to be the, the only one. And the only time this book works is not when you apply part of it to your life, but when he is the only one that is the center of your entire life. Jesus didn't die for your wrongs. He died to have rights to all of your life. Give it to him. It's his. Here's the third thing that made the fall of Saul. Blame shifting. Where did sheep come from? Where does king come from? Oh, who? Is that a new thing? No. How many of you remember when Adam and Eve ate in the garden? Okay, so men who ate first? Come on, say it. You feel mannish when you say that. Eve ate first. So God comes to the garden. Adam, where are you? Adam comes walking out and he says, I was hiding. He experienced three things God never wanted him to experience. Fear, guilt, and shame. He said, what happened? He said, I'm naked. He said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? You know what he, who he blames? First person he blames is God. The woman you gave me. Come on, you were saying that last night at house. The woman you, 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 you don't want to gave her to me. The woman you gave me, she gave it to me to eat. 
So who does he blame? He blames God. You meet people like that? Man, I don't know why everybody's that blessed. And I'm just, I don't know why God let me do this, man. I mean, everybody else, they blame God. And here's the second person he blames, Eve. So then God goes to Eve. He says, Eve, Eve, what, 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 what happened? And you know what she says? The snake. So God calls Adam. Adam blames, Eve blames God goes to the snake and he goes, snake, what did you do? He goes, man, I'm a snake. What do you think I do? I snaked him. I do what I do. Rappers rap, snake, snake. I snaked him. Look, look, look right here. Every time we blame others, we get further away from being whole and being well. I have been counseling people for 46 years. Their marriage, their children, their problems, issues, addictions, fears, insecurities. Listen carefully to me. The quicker that you take responsibility for yourself, regardless of what you've experienced in your life, the closer you are to being healed and being whole. And the more you blame others, the further you are away from being what God created you to be because you are empowering others that don't even care about your life right now. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've been been You've been molested? I've been molested. Okay, check that box. You poor? I was born poor. You born black? I thought I was black till I was nine years old. I checked that box. I was a poor Mexican? Check that box. Nobody in my family did anything? My daddy was a, a waiter. My mama was a waitress. He was married five times. She was married to a man two times. Been married. She was married the second time to a man who had been married seven times who went to prison for molesting the grandchildren. Check your boxes. But the day came as a born-again child of God when I realized that the God who made me had more power than the people who raised me. And that day, I allowed the words of the past that had deformed me and conformed me into a monster to take the living word of the one who created me and breathes on me every time I read this book and allowed his word to begin to shape and comb and culture and carry my life. He loves taking nobodies because only he can get the credit then. Only he can get the credit. Or like we say in St. Bartonville, the credit. He gave up his wrongs, but not his rights. Number five, he allowed his promotion to lead to pride. He says, when you were little in your own eyes, saw you were made the king. Pride is always the first sin to come in my life. It's the first sin to come. P-R-I-D-E, like sin. I, it is I right in the middle of it. Number six, he struggled submitting to authority. I have obeyed the Lord. Did he obey the Lord? Do you know what he was saying to him? Who do you think you are? Just because you're the prophet, you can't tell me everything. I'm the king. I'm Saul. I'm big. I'm strong. He could not submit to authority. Some of you have been mad at the bus driver all your life. When you were in kindergarten, you were like, I hate that bus driver. He just drives too slow. He just, I don't care. Okay. 
Math teacher, I hate my math teacher. Why? She looks like the bus driver. Now you've got a boss that looks like your bus driver and your math teacher. One day it will occur to you that God may be putting those people there to get something out of you that he doesn't want there. Struggle submitting to authority. He was always questioning others' authority. Remember this. The devil is called the slanderer, the liar, and the accuser. And the whole time God's trying to talk to you, you're thinking about somebody else and what's wrong with them. Isn't this crazy? How many of you remember when you were lost? How many of you drank a few cold ones? How many of you drank more than a few cold ones? Okay. How many of you just would get tore down? Tore up from the floor up. Okay, okay. never no, watch this. But you could always find somebody that was a worse drunk than you. Oh, yeah, I'm bad, but I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, you think I'm bad? Boudreaux's worse than me. Now, that's a drunk. That's a drunk. If you were immoral, well, yeah, I slept with two people, but man, Madonna, she sleep with everybody in her video. And they replays. Okay, you always found, and, and the devil would agree with you. Yeah, you're not as bad as him. And then you give your life to Jesus and start following him and you're better than you've ever been before. And he comes to you and goes, you're horrible. You know why? He's a slander. He's a liar. And he's an accuser. And when God brings authorities into your life, the Bible says there's no authority but of God. So whether you like them or not, God brought them there. That's why you better pray for the president, whether it's Obama, whether it's Trump, or God forbid, whether it be me, the first Mexican president. Hey. The state bird would be a duck. The official meal would be boudin crackling. What a wonderful country we would have. COVID wouldn't kill us, crackling would. (laughs) Number seven, they don't understand that partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience. 90% obedience is disobedience. Slow obedience is no obedience. And then finally, number eight, he only admitted he was wrong when he was backed into a corner when he found out he would no longer be the king. You know what blame shifters do? You know what Saul's do? They only admit they're wrong when they're backed up in a corner to save their own hide. You know why? This isn't repentance, it's just regret. They're not sorry for what they did. They just hated the consequences that followed their choices. I've never heard this church this quiet, even in a funeral. So, can I have seven minutes to finish? The rest of y'all going, is it better than that? Because I'm already in bed. Yes, it is. What should Saul have done after he disobeyed God? What should he have done? Same thing we should do. Number one, he should have repented when he was confronted. Do you know as Christians, we're called to be examples. How many of you know that? But how many of you know that when you fail, you can still be an example? You can go back and you can repent to God and others. And you're still an example then because everybody's going to sin at some point or another. There are four levels of dealing with sin. They're going to put this up on the screen. You need to take a picture of this. It only took me 46 years to articulate what I'm going to say to you today. 
Here's the levels of maturity of how you respond to sin as you grow as a Christian. Okay, level one, I sinned. Maybe I looked at something I should have. Maybe I was immoral. Maybe I got drunk. Maybe I cussed somebody out. Maybe I'm just having horrible sins that I've committed privately. After I sin, I feel so bad. I can't deal with the conviction. So after a week or two, I finally get down and go, okay, God, I hadn't slept in two weeks. Forgive me. Okay, I'll go talk to them. That's level one. That's baby Christian. Level two. I sin, and immediately afterwards I go, I just feel terrible. Jesus, forgive me. I, I, I don't want guilt to separate me from you. Forgive me. Level three, I'm getting ready to sin. I'm fixing to give them a piece of my mind. You ever heard that one? It's usually said by someone who needs all their mind that they have, and they cannot afford to lose much more. But it's right before you sin, you stop and go, Lord, you know what I almost did? Thank you. You following me? Okay, here's level four. The thought of sinning comes to my mind. And when it becomes a thought, I go, oh, Lord, forgive me. Wash me. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said 500 years ago, you can't stop a bird from flying over you and dropping something on you, but you can keep him from building a nest on your head. So the, 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 the fourth level is when a thought comes that you know is a seed, because when you plant a thought, you reap a deed. When you plant a deed, you reap a habit. When you plant a habit, you reap a character. When you plant a character, you reap a lifestyle. So when the thought comes... You go, God, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Can I tell you this? There might be somebody sons doing terrible sins all over. I sin just as much as you. But it's usually here and here before it gets to here and here. Is that good? Okay. Your spiritual maturity is measured by how long it takes you to repent after you sin. Number two, he should have repented to be restored to God first and not to Samuel, to be restored back to his position. That's what he said. Forgive me and come back with me and show them that I'm still the king and pray with me. Go back. He was more concerned about his position than he was about his relationship with God. Let me say this because I want you to hear this. Once you become a born again child of God, you can never lose your salvation. Let's say that again. Once you become a born-again child of God, you can never lose your salvation. How many of you here have children? Come on, claim them. They're pointing at you right now. Okay. How many of you have ever had a fallout with your children? Raise your hand. Those of you that hadn't, your children are deaf, dumb, or lying. Okay. How many of you have ever had a fallout with your children, adult children? You hadn't spoken to them for a few days. Are they still your children? you broken fellowship. Okay. When David committed adultery, you know what he said? God, restore again the joy of my salvation. Lord, that which strengthened me and my fellowship with you, the joy of being with you, restore that. That's what he said. So watch this. Now, now, 
He's trying to get his position back when he really needs to try to be getting his relationship with God back. Now I'm going to close our sad story because I'm going to tell you how Saul died. Right after this happened, some people came to attack them. Big, strong Saul who'd won all these victories obeying God just killed most of the Amalekites. He gathered his army together along with his three sons, including his son that would be the next king. His name was Jonathan, David's best friend. And he goes out to battle. But look at me. The army's with him. The armor's with him. The chariots are with him. He's still seven feet tall. But God's not with him. I don't know who this is for, but look right here. It doesn't matter what you have if God is not with you. It doesn't matter who you know if the living God of this book is not with you. God is not with him. He goes into battle. The people begin to be defeated. The armies of Israel, they begin to turn and run. Saul and his sons are killed in the battle. Because when you disobey, it doesn't just affect you. I can't tell you how many parents I've looked at who were going to do something stupid and looked at them and said, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose who it hurts. You can't say, oh, I'm not going to hurt my children, or I'm not going to hurt my mama, or I'm not going to... No, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose who it hurts. And they left and ran away. And Saul and Jonathan and his other two brothers were killed in the battle. The next day, a soldier was coming through and he was stripping all the dead bodies of the valuables. And he's going through and there's people laying out all over. And he sees some jewelry on a large man. And he goes and he turns the body over and it's it's Saul. Saul's not dead yet. He was hit with this, an arrow from the archers. And so that they would not torture him, gouge his eyes out and drag him in front of the people and humiliate him, he takes his own spear and falls on it to die, but he's still alive. And the young man turns him over and says, Saul, he says, kill me. Take a sword and kill me. Don't let them find me like this. And so he does that. He kills him. The young man takes the jewelry and he runs to David, who will be the next king, and tells him the story I just told you. And David simply asked him one question. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 7. And he turned to look behind and he said, here he saw him and he called and said, it's me. He said, I'm here. And he asked, who are you? And he said, I am. Say it with me. Who? Because if you don't get rid of your disobedience, your disobedience will get rid of you. I'll get rid of you. Now watch this. Now you want to hear something really scary? Many years later, there would be a man who would try to wipe out all the Jews because from the lineage would be Jesus, the Savior of the world. His name was Haman. 
but a beautiful woman named Esther who'd married the king delivered them. You know what Haman was? An Amalekite. When Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, wise men came to a man, a king named Herod, and they said, God has told us there's going to be a king, the king of all kings. And they went to go to find him. And as soon as Herod heard it, he went and he killed all the babies in Bethlehem looking to kill Jesus. And do you know what Herod was? An Amalekite. God sees your sin now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 500 years from now, 5,000 years from now. And who is going to affect? I know the voice of the Holy Spirit and I know God is speaking to many people right here. And in moments like this, he takes that one, the best of whatever it is that you still held on to. And this whole message that's been crying out to you like those sheep that saw her. God wants to remove that so that he can spare you from what will come later down the road that would destroy you. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I ask you now in the name of Jesus to take this precious word and to operate. You always come to expose things because you love us like we take something destructive, poison out of our children's hands. That's what you do for us. Today, Holy Spirit, come now and do your work where you make it so clear what you're talking about to each of us. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed up you and you say, Pastor, I know what I've held on to that I should have killed. I know it. And I know what God's asking for now. If that's you, real quickly, I'm the only one looking. Raise your hand all over this building. There's going to be hands up all over this building. Come on, raise it high. High and put it back down. High and put it back down. All over this building. Okay. Now I want you to take both of your hands and put them on your lap and open your palms up towards heaven. Father, there are two hands. Run represents their heart. The other represents that very thing that you're coming to take. Now I want you right now where you are to ask God to forgive you, to repent, to see it, to hate it, and to say, God, you're going to forsake it by his strength and grace. Father, right now, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come down as we open up our hand before you. And we want to get rid of something before it gets rid of us. Wash us. Cleanse us. Renew us. Restore us. I believe this is a moment the Holy Spirit's begun. And I'm going to pray that sometime today, you find a time to talk to God about this. And what was opened up in this, this time of surgery, 
you'd allow the Holy Spirit to go deeper on as he speaks to you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, my birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter. 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab to be born again. That day, the old Jacob died. I was born a baby. Yes, I struggled. Yes, times I fell more times than I stood. But from that day on, the old Jacob was dead and a new one was coming alive, being transformed day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and now decade after decade. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how can I do this? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either you are or he did. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you turn away from what you know God is talking to you about, the repentance, you turn away from it and you choose him over that. You, you choose purity over morality. You choose forgiveness over bitterness. You choose honoring God with your resources versus being afraid and living in fear with your money. Today, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I've never prayed to be born again. Today, I want to be born again. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. I'm just going to pray for you in your seat. We're going to join you and pray for you here in just a moment. On the count of three, if you've never been born again, it only happens once, just like the day you were born. But today you want to be born again. Today can be your spiritual birthday. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, God brought you here. Two, it's not an accident that it's this message in this moment. Today's your day to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift it high right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? Ten. I see that back and back. Eleven. Okay. Twelve. You can put your hands down now. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't, I didn't raise my hand with these twelve, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. If that's you, you've never been born again. Today, I'm asking this last time for you. If that's you, raise your hand and wave it at me. If you've already raised it, don't raise it again. Yes, 13. Wave it at me. All right. 14, 15. All right. Church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raised your hand. We're going to join you as we pray out loud this together, this prayer to be born again as we pray every week. Let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven 
a purpose on earth and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I thank you that God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com.